This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Lung, Lung Talk. This afternoon, we're going to talk with Sarah Rhodes from our fellow practice at the School of Physiotherapy. Sarah just completed some interesting research, which we'll talk about today, on sleep disorders and exercise. However, we will discuss the research, maybe just look at what sleep disorders are. Okay, up to you, Sarah. Well, maybe what? actually before, before um, Sarah jumps in, because I think Sarah's... Um, research was a really quite specific sleep disorder breathing. Sleep disorders actually cover a really huge range of conditions and um, and that can be just insomnia, just not being able to sleep. It can include restless leg syndrome, so there's lots of um, other conditions. Um, jet lag could also become as a sleep disorder um, and also narcolepsy, so that's just falling asleep. So those are all sleep disorders. Also part of sleep disorders is actually um, obstructive sleep apnea. Now that's where really Sarah's research came into play, and she might like just to give us a wee um, explanation on actually what sleep, dis- uh, sleep apnea is. Certainly, Linda. So obstructive sleep apnea, which as Linda stated is the area of sleep health I'm interested in, is a condition where the airway collapses or partially collapses while you're breathing. So there's no air getting down into your lungs. And basically what that means is that during the night people are stopping breathing, they are dropping the level of oxygen in their blood, and often their body arouses itself sufficiently to recommence breathing but they're not actually aware of that so one of the main symptoms is that people wake feeling really unrefreshed they're very tired but they don't necessarily know why and it's often um, comes to light that somebody has obstructive sleep apnea or we suspect that they have it because they have a bed partner or they share um, a house with somebody who notices that they snore a lot or that they're gasping and choking for breath yeah, so that's exactly right, isn't it? And actually, sometimes it's not the patient that recognises it; it's actually yeah, other people within the household. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose the thing is that um, some people think, "Well, okay, I'm just not sleeping well," and they just get used to that. But actually, there's reasons why it's really important to follow it up, isn't there, Sarah? There absolutely are. So one of the things um, that's really critical is that having uh, untreated obstructive sleep apnea, particularly if it's quite a severe form, is that it increases the risk of lots of other um, conditions. And so the when the body's trying to breathe against a closed airway, there's a spike in blood pressure. And what happens typically at night is that your blood pressure dips. So we call it nocturnal dipping. When you go to sleep at night, your blood pressure lowers and that's normal. But when you have obstructive sleep apnea and you're not treated for it, every time you try to breathe against that closed airway, your blood pressure surges. And that has really detrimental effects over time because you don't get that dipping effect. And Ultimately, it manifests itself as high blood pressure during the day as well as at night. And we all know that high blood pressure is not a good thing to have. There are also quite strong associations with um, other conditions and obstructive sleep apnea. So obesity would be the main one, but also type 2 diabetes and depression. 
Yeah, so it is really important, isn't it, to actually um, get onto it. And if you're noticing it or if your your partner or someone else that shares the room says, my goodness, you're snoring away dreadfully. Or you, some, also some people stop breathing, don't they? They and absolutely. They sort of wake up gasping and actually they're sort of having an event where they um, are stopping breathing. Yeah, and sometimes that can be a witnessed event. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it is really important to follow that up and go and see the GP. Absolutely. Just just throw a curveball in there. Yeah. (laughs) You'd say about your partner or someone in the house, what if someone, what happens with someone who lives alone? So when people live alone, obviously it's not quite so easy to pick up that they may yeah, have the condition because the snoring and the witnessed um, gasping or choking are often the two things um, that come to light. But if you're finding that you're fatigued, you're waking feeling really unrefreshed, you're having difficulty concentrating, you may wake with morning headaches, which we think is because of the drop in oxygen in your bloodstream. Um, If you have a number of those symptoms, then there are lots of screening tools or a couple of screening tools that can look at the the likelihood that you might have obstructive sleep apnea. So if somebody presented to me and said, oh, I just don't understand why I'm waking tired. Um, I'd say, well, do you ever experience morning headaches? Do you have difficulty concentrating? Do you nod off at particular times during the day? So do you sit in front of the television and find that almost instantly you're asleep? Those would be the sorts of things that we would think "Mm, that might point towards a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea. And we'd then um, look at referral to a a sleep clinic for an overnight sleep study as, as a confirmed diagnosis. Yeah, so oh, that that can be certainly yeah. through your GP. So yes, yeah, so you know, sim- the symptoms. A, there, are the, yeah, yeah, there are other yeah. symptoms. Yeah. That's right, exactly. And you know, some some people just nodding off. Like if you're if you're driving, if you're sitting at the traffic lights and you find yourself, you know, that head dropping yep. and going to sleep. Those are you know definitely signs that things yeah. aren't great, and that maybe you need to um, have a good discussion with your GP. And as, as Sarah said, there's some questionnaires that are quite easy to fill out that you can just go through and look at and fill those out and then they can have a look at them and go, okay, maybe we need to follow this up further. further." Because as Sarah said, there's some really um, ongoing health problems with having poor sleep um, and sleep apnea overnight. And we know that if you're not treated for sleep apnea, that it you know, it, it increases your risk of a, an earlier death as well, which Absolutely. ultimately is is not good. And I think really importantly for me, and this came out in my study, is your quality of life is hugely impacted. So your ability mm. to do things and to do things well becomes very, very difficult. And over time, people tend to withdraw a little bit and they do less and their quality of life becomes re- yeah, really heavily impacted. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I think we might have a bit of a break for a few minutes and then we'll be back shortly. Right. <laughs> what what made you take up or do the study? So I'm I'm a cardiorespiratory physiotherapist by background and so I was increasingly seeing people with obstructive sleep apnea and often these were people that had been diagnosed so they'd have their CPAP machine if they came into hospital if I saw them in the community and I suppose it piqued a bit of an interest in that population because I think sleep health is something we still don't know 
as much about as we do other areas of medicine. And so initially I undertook a study where I interviewed 60 participants who were recruited from the sleep clinic here in Dunedin. So they were on the waiting list for an overnight sleep study. So they were suspected of having obstructive sleep apnea at that point. And what I wanted to do was just get a sense of what does physical activity look like in this population? So how active are this group of people? And why may they not be as active as perhaps they would like to be or as we would recommend generally as health professionals? And the main findings there were that two things, really. One was pain was was a big limitation, and that's often because... Um, there are other things that coincide with obstructive sleep apnea. So because 70% of people with obstructive sleep apnea are overweight or obese, there are other conditions that often affect them. So things like osteoarthritis of their knees and the pain that comes alongside that was making it difficult for people to be active. Um, but the main finding was that low motivation was the limitation. Mm. Mm. And it's probably not surprising when we talked about before, didn't we, the actual symptoms mm. of Absolutely. Um, you know, sleep apnea, that fatigue and that waking up not refreshed. Yep. It's hard to get up and feel motivated to go for a walk even. Completely. Isn't it? And if you think about how hard it is for some of us that aren't impacted by those symptoms to be motivated, Mm. we can completely understand why it would be more difficult. So um, I then did a very small study where I just talked to a group of people or explored their their ideas around potentially using something as a form of motivation. And what I was looking at was text messaging. So it was looking at um, building to the, the study I did ultimately, which was personalised exercise prescription for people with obstructive sleep apnea. So I had 30 people within my study who had a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea and it was a personalised exercise prescription alongside personalised or individualised text messaging. And the idea behind this was that I interviewed people at the outset and spent quite a lot of time getting to know them. So we had 90 minutes where we'd sit and get a sense of what was important to these people, what were the limitations in their life, what were the constraints, what were the no-go areas, what were their goals, what were the things they aspired to do. And that was quite varied, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Mm. So the age range was 22 to 74. So the goals were quite varied. So some people it was about being able to keep pace with grandchildren. For other people, it was just being able to get up and walk themselves to and from work, not have to rely on using the car. And so um, with each individual, I implemented a personalised exercise prescription plan. We had three arms to the study. So two arms actually attended a supervised exercise class. And so one arm just had the supervised exercise class for three months. Off they went. The, the middle arm had the supervised exercise class plus the personalised text messaging and the third arm had the um, sort of bespoke exercise prescription and the text messaging. So they had no supervision whatsoever. Um, and so during that time, I would send them personalised text messages. And the idea behind this was, based on discussion with each individual, it were, they were tailored to suit and they were timed at the point of action where that was helpful. So I had one gentleman who said... I really would like to walk the dog in the morning with my wife. And I said, what's stopping you? And he said, I I sort of get into the wine a little bit the night before and then I just can't get up in the morning. And I said, well, how how can I help? (laughs) And he said, well, you could text me at about 7 o'clock the evening before when I'm about to open that bottle and say... You might want to think twice about that glass of wine if you want to get up in the morning. Um, for, for other people, it was identifying at the end of a work day. They'd struggled through with the symptoms. They wanted to get home. They'd get home about 5.30, and as soon as their bottom hit the couch, that was it. 
and but they recognised there was a potential window of opportunity there. So they'd say things like, if you could text me at about oh, 25 past five, just as I'm thinking about sitting down, say, oh, you've got a window of opportunity here. Why don't you have a just a stroll around the block? 15 minutes is better than nothing. And so that would sort of just give them a little bit of a prompt, a little bit of a nudge. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, different for different people in terms of what worked. Some people preferred more of a carrot approach. Others wanted more of a stick approach. Um, but the idea was that it was individualised within that um, study to support each person in a way that was meaningful and important to them. Yeah. Oh, that uh, sounds really interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, totally interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things Siri mentioned around particularly the age of the people. Because you mentioned actually had some really young people within that study as well. Yep. And, um, you know, it's highlighting, isn't it, that sleep apnea doesn't just affect people in their older age, which maybe you kind of would think, yep. isn't it? You know, people get the idea, oh, as you get older, you don't sleep so well, and that might be where it happens. Absolutely. But, and age is a risk factor. A, a, absolutely. And so actually, you know, being young doesn't seem to um, protect you, I suppose, can it? Because actually, Not at all. No, and I think that's a real highlight for young people that are listening, that actually if they have these symptoms, don't be ruling it out. Absolutely. And I yeah. think the other thing just to say, because people are becoming more um, aware of these sleep disorders, is that people do tend to equate it with being overweight. Yeah. Now, 70% of people are overweight or obese, as I've already stated, who have obstructive sleep apnea. But that means 30% aren't. And often that's because of anatomical features. So they might have a particularly narrow airway to start with. Um, in young, young, really young people, children, often it's to do with um, things that are reducing the airspace, so um, enlarged tonsils, for example. Mm. So it mm. might be that you think to yourself, oh, I can relate to these symptoms, but I'm not overweight, I'm really active. It could be an anatomical cause. It may not mean that you don't have it. You could still have obstructive sleep apnea. Absolutely. And you'd also mentioned about... Um CPAP, which is a, um, a treatment for sleep yes. apnea, um, and that's something that you would get generally through the sleep clinic, although there are some private providers out in the community that can provide that as well. So that's one of the treatments for it. Were all the people on C- CPAP that you met, or not all of them? No, they weren't. And so, yeah, so just talking to CPAP. So CPAP is... Um, is obviously designed to splint the airways open while the person sleeps. It's considered the gold standard of treatment it's hugely effective but as I'm sure you can appreciate it's quite difficult to sleep with a mask on your face that's blowing air at you and it's a bit of a passion killer as well isn't it let's face it so um, what we know about CPAP is the people that get funded for it have to have quite severe obstructive sleep apnea um, and that also quite a large proportion of people that are Provided with CPAP, have struggle have a struggle with actually tolerating wearing them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, um, I'm certainly involved with respiratory in my role, and you know there are certainly a number of people that have tried CPAP, um, and that it's just not for them. Yeah. Um, and it does it does take a lot of time for people to get used to, to it. get settled on yeah, it. Yeah, and sometimes it's changes in the masks that they use, and yeah. they've got different masks and things like that. And so it's, it's evolving a, all the time, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. it's and becoming new, more yeah. discreet. And yeah, that's right. But still, Still, it, it's kind of, as you say, gold standard. It works in really effectively at reducing a lot of those complications yes. that we talked about. Yeah. So it's and the risk factors associated. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the other thing just to add there, Linda, is that um, what interests me is that because weight gain is one of the um, associated risks, 
is that when we've, we're getting this cohort of people who perhaps have mild or moderate sleep apnea that don't qualify for a CPAP machine, and what we know is that if there are lifestyle factors involved there, so if somebody's already overweight and is having difficulty managing their weight, that a small weight gain actually results in a disproportionate increase in apnea severity, so the severity of the condition and therefore the associated risk factors with that. Mm-hmm. And so that group for me are really interesting mm. because now the guidelines suggest that that's the group that we should be thinking about targeting things like how supporting people to to eat well, supporting people to be more active, things we know can have an impact mm. because they don't quite meet the criteria for the CPAP machine. That's right. I mean, you know, it's a bit of a growing problem, I think, sleep apnea. It is, And yeah. it's being recognised more, I think, as well, of course, isn't it? Yes. But, um, you know, unfortunately, as you mentioned, obesity is a real um one of those it's risk factors. Epi- Absolutely. Risk and, factor. you know, unfortunately yep. we are as a population growing as well. Yep. And so I think that um, and GPs are much more um, switched on, I think, around identifying people with sleep-disordered breathing now too, aren't they? Yep. Yep. And so I think we really are needing to look at not just um, that non-invasive ventilation or the CPAP, it's other measures like you're talking about as yeah. well, isn't it? And having a toolbox of things. So Absolutely. The CPAP alongside some of those other measures is, is also a really good option yeah, for people. definitely. Um, so we might have a bit of a break and then we might come back and just look at those results. Right, we'll carry on. <laughs> Sarah, end results. What, what was, what did you come up with? Okay, so we, we were looking at um, a, quite a large number of outcomes, um, but one of the main ones was looking at did people's level of cardiorespiratory fitness improve, i.e., were they taking up more exercise um, or being more physically active as a result of the study? But also in terms of the motivational component, we'd embedded some behavioural change techniques within that. So we were looking to see whether their self-efficacy improved. So their sense of... um, I've got this, I can do this. Um, Because ultimately we're looking at people to be able to support themselves going forward. And what we found was that actually across all three groups that the exercise levels increased, um, which was fantastic. But in the two groups where they were getting the text messages, the self-efficacy scores did increase quite a lot relative to that group that just had the supervised exercise. So having that wee nudge and just that little bit of support and that sense of accountability to someone um, Mm. seemed to be enough to engender an increase in, I've got this, I can do this over time. So this was over a six-month time period. Yep. It's a reasonable like big time. brother looking down on you. you know, Absolutely. You feel a bit guilty about it. Yeah, and so we yeah. did, um, just to say this was a very small study, it was a feasibility study, so it's trends we identified rather than sort of mm-hmm. you know, statistically st- significant results. But at the end I interviewed um, 17 of the participants, um, so a one-on-one interview, telephone interview, and that was probably the most interesting information because it was just really deconstructing how they'd found the study and the bits that they found oh, yeah. helpful and didn't like. And that, as you've just alluded to there, Murray, that that guilt um, component for some people was really important. (gasps) Oh, Sarah's going to text me soon and I haven't done what I said. Well, we'd agreed. Oh, I'm feeling guilty. I'll go out and do it. And for some people, they liked that. For other people, so it was a a bit of a double-edged sword. For for other people, they didn't like that. And I think it's really important to recognise that to truly support somebody to be sort of self-managing, you've got to walk alongside them. You're not there 
pushing them or telling them what to do or standing over them, wagging your finger. It's about truly being alongside them and supporting them on their terms. And that's what we were trying to do. Um, it worked really well for the majority of people, mm. but, but not for everybody. Yeah, I think that's as you're saying. And because you can't be there for the next 20 years, can you? No. Sarah's sending text messages saying no. to them. So it's a point where they kind of have to see the benefits of it and I think that's some of it isn't it actually once people see that they are fitter stronger feeling better their mood's better yep. um, actually they go oh yeah that's right well that's actually why I need to keep going isn't yeah. it and I think it was quite empowering for some people I think yeah. the, that the sense they were taking control of their destiny was 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 a really powerful motivator for them going forward um, and the establishment of habits so yeah. the fact that they'd already got the habits established and ultimately the perfect blueprint for this would be seeing somebody at the start of the study and at six months they'd come back and say, this has been great, but I don't need you anymore. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, we, you know, would be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. Actually, that they, they're feeling like, no, I've got this. Yeah, and absolutely. And actually I can do it. I just, um, yeah. Can, can go along and do it. I mean, it's a little bit like um, Sierra and I do the Pomni Rehab Program, which yes. is an exercise program, which yep. is kind of that whole trying to get people to um, manage their own selves, really, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And actually yep. work out, actually, this really works. This is keeping me well. Yep. You know, I'm not not so, I don't get so many chest infections. I'm not in hospital yeah, as that's frequently. Right. My mood yep. is better. And, and mood's a real. Um, big thing isn't it you're talking about well-being and often people that have sleep problems mood can be really low and really flat yeah absolutely and so just to talk to a couple of the other findings so one was that Mm. again mindful that these are just trends that we identified that um in those two groups where they were receiving the text messages that we we did a um sort of depression screening scale um that improved for both those groups. Mm. The other thing that interestingly improved, most of the quality of life measures we used improved, but the one that improved the most from a lower base to start with was energy and fatigue. Yeah. So we know, theoretically, we know that if you do more and you're more active, you actually have more energy. But it's a really hard sell, isn't it? It's Absolutely. a really hard concept to grasp that yeah. you may feel better by doing more when you're really tired to start uh, yeah. with. Yeah, and, and Sarah and I both know how important <laughs> exercise is. Um, and Murray does yes, too, I in do fact, do. don't you, Murray? No, do. Because Murray comes along to our, our exercise groups. And actually, um, I suppose, you know, Murray, you might be able to talk to the, a little bit about that, what we're talking about, actually really not feeling like exercising, but actually get, seeing the benefit of it. Well, when I first started, when I come along, I couldn't do anything. I, I had trouble even talking. But then we, um, carry, I went with the exercise and carried you know with that. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not going to make this, you know. And I just kept going, kept going. And then I was coming twice a, twice a week to it. And then I just I gradually built up and up and up. So I couldn't even get out of a chair. Wow. So and I, but it was just the motivation. I thought. You know, I've got to carry on. I've got to do this, you know. And uh, so I just kept at it, you know, plodding more now. Here I am. (laughs) And did you find as you started to recognise the benefits, it made it easier to keep going? I know the benefits of the exercise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I keep pushing it, you know, and I think, well, exercise got me where I am, and, you know, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty compelling example. It is, Absolutely, you know, and... That's exactly, and we know that it's exercise is great for keeping your muscles strong yeah. and mental health and 
and uh, lots of many, many things, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, the exercise number one, you know, and then look at everything else afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, Murray's a real convert, though, aren't you, Murray? And it's well, lovely, yeah. I, I look at, you know, like from what I used to do to what I can do now, or like to what I do now, a bit slower, but, you know, yeah. I would hate to be sitting in a chair all day. You know, yeah. I, I get out and do things. You know, mm. and that's you know that's the biggest thing. So, and I think that sense of connectedness to other people, sort of through the group-based exercises, is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah most definitely. Um, thank you, Sarah. That's been really, really interesting. Um, yeah, where yeah, to no, from? Yeah. Where to from here? Is there some more studies coming in that? Well, you're just not sure yet? <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a few thoughts in the pipeline, but I think um, ultimately what I'd like to do is see a bit of a change in service delivery in terms of being op- able to offer more in, in that toolbox for people yeah. who have got a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, because it is, it's a real gap, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, um, you know, we've got the sleep clinic and they provide sleep machines and things and like that. As, <laughs> and And most definitely they are, they are, but as you say, there's a whole lot of lifestyle things that we can work on ourselves yep. that can make a huge difference as well. And, and so often with just a little bit of support, yeah. a little Absolutely. bit of guidance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. So it um, been really interesting. Okay, well, thanks very much for that, Sarah. And, Thank you. Um, next month, will we have something else? Yeah, thanks very much. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.